runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 103 with guest Bill Graziano, recorded Thursday, March 12, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. You're listening to Run As Radio. I'm your host, Richard Campbell. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm having a great day, man. My, You know, my house renovation is still going on. Yeah, cool. So where are you at in that process? I know I've seen pictures along the way, but it's been a little while. Uh, we are at the paint, tile, and cabinetry process. So I think we're about two months out of being finished. Ah, very nice. Because you, you moved to a different house down the road and completely chopped that thing down and... Um, you're doing some really cool, of course you're doing some pretty extravagant and cool uh, IT work in your renovation. Everybody should have 60 U's of rack space in their house, man. <laughs> Amazing. And and what kind of uh, what kind of network uh, infrastructure are you putting in place? Oh, it's all gigabit, uh, uh-huh. four Ethernet cables to two walls of each room. It's sort of a, it's, these are basic requirements, man. Yeah. And I actually built a proper location in my house for the wireless access points. They're they're wired and positioned and get you know proper coverage. You know, just thinking through the the core issues. Right, plural wireless access points. Well, we all that. we all need a fabric. Right, exactly. What do you think? <laughs> so, did you do wire in the walls, or did you do fiber? Uh, wire. I seriously consider fiber, but I, you know, with gigabit Ethernet, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, it's just it's a you know maybe five years ago we would have said fiber if you really want to get fancy, but you can do an awful lot with the wire now. Yeah, I've seriously considered fiber a number of times, but you know, the reality is both in work and at home, uh, I only run fiber when you got to go long range. As soon as you're over 600 meters, now fiber matters. But if, other than that, it's just not worth the issues. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, Greg, let's introduce our guest. Bill Graziano is a specialist in SQL Server performance tuning and server management. Bill has nearly 20 years of database management experience. He started working with Sybase on the Unix platform back before it became Microsoft SQL Server. He's worked with every version of SQL Server Microsoft has ever released. Bill has been a Microsoft MVP for SQL Server for four years. He's on the board of directors for PASS, the global user group for SQL Server professionals, where he is the vice president of marketing. Bill is a regular presenter at PASS conferences and various user groups. He formerly worked for Accenture and Empower Trainings and Consultants. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Bill. Thank you. Okay, before we go, I really want to talk performance tuning. It's one of my favorite topics, but I think we should tell people a little bit about PASS, and you sound like the guy we should talk to about that. Yeah. Boy, I should be, shouldn't I? <laughs> I don't know. Any organization that lets a database administrator be the VP of marketing, you kind of have to wonder about. But, I mean, PASS is all SQL Server people, right? It is all SQL Server people. Or really, it's anybody that works with SQL Server. It could be database administrators. It could be developers. It could be report developers, business intelligence professionals, uh, access developers that are working with SQL Server. Anybody that's using SQL Server, we're interested in trying to help out. So the business side, not just the DBA type of people. No, it's it's much broader than that. That's maybe, uh, you know, the big thing that we put on each year is our conference, which is coming up in November. Right. And you know, maybe thirty-five to forty percent of our uh, of our content there is related specifically to DBA work. 
the rest is application development, it's business intelligence, it's reporting, uh, it's just a variety of topics around SQL Server. Sure, and, and uh, uh, it's a huge show. I mean, you guys do really well uh, in terms of size of conference. It's it's pretty exciting just to have a, a totally SQL Server focused conference. Most shows you go to, it's a track, not the whole show. Correct. It's uh, we have nearly 150 technical sessions related to SQL Server. We had 2,500 people at our last conference, which was you know last November. Given the economy, yeah, uh, we were we were really really happy with. We have a European conference coming up in April. Uh, in Neuss, Germany, which is a little suburb of Dusseldorf, and we're really happy. The uh, the registrations so far this year are well ahead of where they were last year. So Great. people are really hungry for SQL Server information. And that's going to be just a few weeks before, uh, after the show comes out. So uh, Neuss, Germany, the uh, European Pass Conference. That's correct. Where where is the uh, where's the next United States conference for the people that are the next one is in... going to be in Seattle. We'll be there uh, the week of November third. Uh, we've had quite a few in Seattle lately. At our last conference, we had over 300 members of the Microsoft development team. Uh-huh. So there's really an awful lot of benefit to us being in Seattle and people being able to come and get their questions answered from those folks. Sure. It, literally from the guys who wrote the product. Yeah. That's, that's pretty compelling. So you ask, you ask them a question, and when they say, well, when I wrote the code that did that, this is why I wrote it that yeah, way. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. So you really get brass tack stuff. Uh so uh, let's get into the performance tuning side of things. Uh, what sort of work do you do that you run into this uh, this kind of problems? So I'm an independent consultant, and a lot of times when I get called in, it's it's something's broken or something's slow, and it's it, you know there's not always a lot of time to you know do planning and to lay out capacity plans and things like that. It's this is broken, fix it now. Right. So a lot of the performance tuning that I do is trying to figure out in a real short amount of time which queries are a problem, is it queries that are a problem, you know, where are the bottlenecks, and then try and alleviate those, you know, pretty quickly while the system's running. And yeah. so I got to think that SQL Profiler is your friend. So SQL Profiler is very much my friend. Uh, I spend an awful lot of time on that. I actually wrote a little utility that I use uh, that I've released out called ClearTrace. And what it does is when you run Profiler, it collects all those queries up, and, you know, if you use stored procedures, you can sometimes match up that this one ran, you know, X thousand times in a certain time frame. Right. Uh-huh. What this does is a lot, is very similar to what Read AD Trace does, which is a tool that the Microsoft Product Support Group wrote. And it, it aggregates all the, the SQL that looks the same and tells you in aggregate which queries are using the most disk resources, the most CPU, and really gives me, you know, right away, this is, these are the ones to go look at. Hmm. Cool. So that's sort of that's the tool that I'm surprised how many people just don't know about Profiler. That that's the tool that really bubbles the the queries of concern to the top. Yeah, it's a you know it's 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 interesting to know that there's a tool out there that when you turn it on, it can look for I think it's something like 140 different events that happen in SQL Server. Uh, you know, logins, logouts, and a SQL statement completing are you know the most common ones, but um, you know, everything from locks to any error that the user sees, you can also capture in Profiler uh, and then tell you statistics about that. You know, what what machine did it come from? How much CPU did it use? Uh, when did it occur? Uh, in fact, SQL Server is always running a trace in the background uh, mm-hmm. that you can go access if you want. And it's capturing information that, that it thinks is interesting to how the system performs. So the tool that you that you released uh, is that 
taking profiler's output and then doing more more little intelligence on that and generating new information for you to consume? Is that what it does? That's, that's exactly what it does. The big thing that it does is it takes uh, the SQL statements, and I try and... Uh, I try and parameterize those. So where you pass something into a where clause with a certain specific value, I try and turn that into a parameter, and then I match that text against the other SQL statement. So ah, okay. if you select you know, some stuff from the customer table with a certain where clause, and you run that with different values, I should be able to match all those up and then tell you in aggregate how often that query ran, how much CPU it used. Sure. Sounds like you're sort of taking maybe a lot of the work that you would normally have to do by hand and automating that, at least the uh, the heavy lifting part of that, so you can then take a look at it and try to solve a problem. That's that's the real idea. The, the, the thing it's really trying to get to is a lot of people, when they turn on Profiler, they look at, uh, they, they filter for just queries that use a lot of CPU and just or just queries that use a lot of disk. And so that might get you an individual query that runs once or twice. Mm-hmm. But what you'll tend to find is that something that maybe is somewhat efficient but runs again and again and again ends up being your biggest consumer of resources. And so if you can make a 10% gain in something that runs, you know, 20 times a second, that adds up. Right. So, uh, again, what's the name What's the name of the tool that you did? And you said you released it, and can people check it out? The tool is called ClearTrace. Okay. Uh, and if you go to the corporate website that I, uh, that I do my consulting under, cleardata.biz, it's just a free download there. Oh, great. And, uh, okay. Anybody can download it and use it. Free is good. Absolutely. Uh, there's also, I, I worry about uh, how much of performance tuning is focused around the infrastructure of SQL Server versus just the data you've got. Like that, I find most people have performance problems just because the, the database has grown large now, probably larger than it needs to be. They don't have a good archiving strategy just to keep their data sets under reasonable control. Uh, what's your experience in that area? Is this more about the, the execution of queries or just the size of the data? Where do people get their pain? You know, I would say yes to all those as to where's the pain. <laughs> uh, There's exactly. pain everywhere. You know, one of the interesting things about the world now is that we have uh, a pretty amazing ability to generate data. And then we generate data about the data, and then other people collect data about the data that we generated and then sell that as more data. So we just end up with lots and lots of data. Uh, so, you know, we do see a lot of situations where people write a system, they test it, they load it up with you know, a certain amount of data, and it works just fine. And then, you know, two or three or four years later, the query plans or the queries they wrote that were pretty efficient on, you know, a million rows become much less efficient on 100 million rows. Right. And so that, you know, data growth is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. People begin to, you know, as you begin to add on to systems, I, I find that even the companies that do really good performance testing up front don't always do as good a performance testing as they put in what they consider a small change. And that small change can have a, have a pretty big impact. I know I've seen small changes have major impact where it just wasn't necessarily assumed that that would be the case. Yeah, my, my favorite story about that is we were at a client and I had been doing some performance tuning for them and we were, you know, we were making pretty good headway. And then one morning the system just, it, it just literally shut down. The, the CPU would max out, the disk would max out, it would churn and become unresponsive and we couldn't figure out what it was. Nobody admitted to changing anything. And so we finally found a developer that admitted they had changed one line of code. And all they did was wrap a function around a column to limit a result set to just the previous seven days. 
And the problem is, as soon as they wrapped a function around a column, it prevented SQL Server from using the index on that column. Right. Uh Because Uh SQL Server will only use an index if you compare a column to a scalar value. So that query switched from being a somewhat efficient indexed query to a table scan. Right. And since it was on the report that all the salespeople used to see what calls they needed to make, it ran a lot. And so we uh, we changed that one line of code, and everything was better. Wow. Huh. Cool. Uh, you talk a bit about procedure caching as well. Th- that is more of the execution plans for SQL Server? So SQL Server is kind of an interesting beast in that, you know, most programming that you do, you're telling it how to do things. But in SQL Server, you're telling it what result you want. Right. And so it's building its own query plan in there. And so having it pick a good query plan and continue to reuse that plan uh, is, is you know, becoming one of the more interesting challenges. It's, it's interesting. As SQL Server has progressed and they've given us better and better tools to see what goes on inside it, you've really seen performance tuning kind of move from, you know, I, I measure disk usage, I measure CPU, and then we got good tools to see query plans. People began to look at those. With 2005, we began to get really good tools to see what was going on in the procedure cache. And now people are much more interested in when does SQL Server create a query plan? When does it reuse it? Uh, and how do I, how do I minimize the amount of recompiles that stored procedures have? Well, first, my first question has got to be how much time in a typical query execution is dedicated to computing the query plan? Is that really a big chunk of the total time? You know, that's, and that's one of the things that I wish I had a better answer for, uh, because that's one of the things that's not exposed as well. You can kind of get to it by forcing it to recompile each time. Right. And where you really see the impact is, you know, if you're going to run a query that's going to do a data warehouse, you know, a big data warehouse query that's going to scan a million rows, the compile time for that's not going to be that big. But if you're writing something that's online, that's processing transactions, like maybe a credit card system, and so you're looking at, you know, store procedures or transactions that run in, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 milliseconds, then that query compile time can can start to add up on those. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me, especially if you're hitting it, you know, a hundred times a minute or a thousand times a minute. That really will add up. Yes, yes, it does. And the other thing that you get is in a lot of those OLTP systems, you get a very defined set of transactions. Right. So it should be pretty easy to, you know, write a store procedure and get a stable query plan, uh, but you occasionally get people doing things inside those that make it harder for it to reuse query plans. Uh, there was a big issue that I think a lot of people know about and have, have begun to work around, but creating temporary tables and then using those temporary tables in the queries can often force store procedures to recompile in the middle of the store procedure. I see. Hmm. And, and so temporary, If you, when you want to build a really performant stored procedure, you're saying steer clear of temporary tables? Well, you know, the best thing about SQL Server is that almost any question you can ask me, the answer is it depends. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that's a good rule of thumb is that, you know, temporary tables can add a, a fair amount of overhead and can cause recompiles. There are ways that you can use them in terms of creating them ahead of time, populating them, and then using them as opposed to creating them in the middle of the stored procedure that can make life a lot easier on you. 
But it, and it, again, I'm not saying never use temporary tables, but if I'm building a procedure that's highly performant, it, I want it to run in a fraction of a second and I'm going to run it a lot, then perhaps I've got to steer clear of temporary tables, find a different way to solve the problem. I would say anything you can do to avoid temporary tables, anything you can do to avoid creating intermediate data sets, right. whether it's a temporary table, whether it's a table variable, uh, anything you can do to avoid intermediate data sets, you'd be better off. And my, my next question would be, is, is a table variable going to be behave differently from a temporary table? It does behave differently, and it's better in some cases and not as good in others. Right. So the, if you've got a really small intermediate data set, and for whatever reason you do need to use something like that, then a table variable is is better. The larger it gets, uh, the more appropriate a, a temporary table is. Well, because a temporary table, I can actually build indexes and things on it if I if I need to. But that again, this is that would be the sort of thing I'm not looking at a high performance query there. I'm looking at a query that's doing something very elaborate. Correct. And that that makes sense to me. But I I think that the table variable, because it's got such a clear uh, beginning and end point that you do define it in line, you know it dies at the end of the stored procedure, it works better in those scenarios. You know, it can work very good, but typically whenever you see a table variable, it's always going to do a scan of that table variable. Right. Where, like you said, in in a temporary table, you can build indexes. It can do, you know, index seeks on that. So it just, it really depends on your use case. Sure. Yeah, the correct answer is always it depends, but I'm, I'm with you on the idea that when I'm, if I'm build the, the store procedure I want to tune, the one that Profiler shows is used a lot, even if it is efficient, it's just the frequency of use is really high, and, and, and so that that's a substantial point of our work. I'm going to go through with a fine-tooth comb, strip out anything I don't absolutely have to have in there, and I got to imagine that in many cases, you can find a different way to build your procedure without those temporary variables. That's almost always true. Uh, you know, there's a lot you can do with, uh, especially now in the newer versions of SQL Server, with common table expressions, right? which kind of lets you build intermediate result sets on the fly. I do an awful lot with derived tables. So your, your select from inside your from, instead of being a table name, it's actually another select statement. Right. Uh, I also... Try and do. I think you know. I think views inside SQL Server are just really underused. I, I agree, but where where do you see the view as a strength? Well, so there's a couple of things they do. They do really well, and you got to remember, I'm a pretty lazy DBA. Okay. I don't like to type much, <laughs> and it's a a little thing. But you know, if I can build some views that give me a lot of the information I need, have a lot of those joins done, and then use those, what you'll find is that. Um, you can you can look like in your mind in, in how you think about it you can build those intermediary there's intermediate result sets in other words I'm going to select from this view and then I'm going to do X Y and Z to it but what SQL Server does is it doesn't compile the full query with the view so it doesn't run the view and then run the query it collapses those together and and runs that end result. I don't know if I explained that very well. But I know I, I get your point that, that the fact is the view is not always materialized. You know, it doesn't pre-compute it ahead of time. It does it as it needs it. And it, because it can combine those two things together, maybe it can find a more efficient way to render the data out of it. Correct. Not only is the view not materialized, but the plan for how to execute the view is not materialized. Right. So if you have, you know, a select statement that only uses, you know, certain columns out of there, when it builds that plan, it'll only build the plan for those certain columns. 
I thought that one of the big strengths of views was the ability to build indexes against a view, to build a composite index that otherwise couldn't exist. So you can build views like that, but in that case, you're limited to, I think it's just the Enterprise Edition of SQL Server. Oh, okay. So that's not a feature that's available in uh, in all the versions. But those are very, those are pretty powerful tools for doing things that, you know, you otherwise couldn't do. Well, and, I, and I'm definitely thinking from a performance tuning point of view, the, ba- the ability to say, I'm not only going to create this join, that I'm going to index columns between those two tables through this view to improve performance. That, t- to me, seems like a huge win. Yeah, and if you know, if you look at running that view and it and it stays up to date, and you you build those indexes on it, in effect, you're not going back to the original tables. You're going to that indexed view. And and what you're doing is now pushing the load off the query that you're retrieving from onto the inserts, updates, and delete statements. Because now every time yep. it does anything on those tables, it has to maintain this index. That's correct. That's the downside. So you're still pay- paying the price. You're just paying it somewhere else. I wish there were more things that were free, but... <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, there's nothing free. You're always finding... You're just shifting the cost around. Maybe the query is is performance sensitive, and so that time really, really matters where the insert, update, deletes are not as sensitive. Yeah. Very true. Uh, how do we? You were talking about the tools that allow us to look into the uh, the, the uh, uh, procedure cache. What are those tools? How do we look into that? So the biggest the the biggest things that you can use are in SQL Server 2005. They added the dynamic management views or the DMVs. Right. And so those let you basically there are queries that will tell you what's in every nook and cranny of SQL Server's memory. And so the big thing that was kind of a surprise to me as I began to play with some of these is just how much of SQL Server's memory is allocated to the procedure cache. And so you might on a, you know, on a fairly low-end system that's running at, you know, 2 gig of memory, so SQL Server gets, you know, 1.6, 1.7 gig of mm-hmm. memory, you might find that uh, maybe 40% of that to as much as half of that is procedure cache and right. not data cache. Interesting. And so, you know, the more you can reuse query plans and have fewer query plans, the more memory you get for storing data. Which is really what you thought you were storing in the first place. Which is exactly what I thought I was storing in the first place. Well, I'm surprised the number of people who just have not ever sat down and learned DMVs as well. There's a whole lot of unique functionality there that didn't exist anywhere else. There is a tremendous amount of functionality. And, I, you know, as, as much as I work with it every day, I'm, I'm always amazed at how often I... I come up with something I want to know, and I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a DMV that'll tell me that, and I have to go root around and find it and figure out how to use it. Um, but there are certainly a lot of them. Yeah, just tons and tons of stuff. And 2008 didn't make it any better. There's more. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's. I don't know. If I'd say that's worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, one sense you say there's more visibility, and on the other side you say there's more stuff to know. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think it'll, I think it'll just take a while for folks to get used to, you know, going to look there in the, in the first place. Right. Yeah, I don't think people look there actually, but I also like the fact that we can actually look and see what is cached. Why are we faster now for this? And I think it's one of those big uh, reality checks when you look at what what was getting cached early in the product when we were doing our detailed performance tuning and what's getting cached now a year, two years down the road that sets have got so much larger and that the cache has a much tougher time. Yep. And you can even tell it, you know, not only what's cached, but what is the what is the query plan for that particular item. 
so actually going and looking to see what the query plan that they that it has been cached is. Yeah, and it'll tell you, you know, how many times it's been used, um, you know, when it was last used, things like that. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Have you run into circumstances where the query plan that gets cached that you find in the procedure cache is different from the one you'd see in Query Analyzer when you went to check it? So what I what I tend to run into a lot is I'll get a I'll get a query that's performing. So the short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, the long answer involves involves something called parameter sniffing. Oh yeah. Where when you first build a query plan, it's got to make some decisions about what what plan to build, and it's either going to make those decisions based on statistical averages. Let's say you're comparing a date value to you know a parameter passed into the stored procedure. It either makes that decision based on the explicit value you passed in, or it makes that decision based on the statistical averages of, you know, what's in the table. And with 2005 and 2008, you get a great ability to tell it, you know, this is how I want you to build this query plan. Right. In the case that it's not building the one that you want it to. So you can actually provide a hint to say, I want you, I'm going to tell you what the likely values of this parameter are going to be rather than you have to analyze the table to figure that out? Correct. And a perfect example of that might be like an active inactive flag. Right. Or if you've got, you know, 99% are active, but the very first time you call it, if you call it with the inactive flag, it might build a very interesting query plan. Uh, the other thing that you can do that's really interesting that they put in specifically for packaged applications is that you can actually take a SQL statement. So you can take the, the, the SQL statement basically out of that DMV and say, whenever you see a SQL statement that looks like this, use this kind of hint to run that or this kind of plan. Interesting. So, and, and what kind of hints can we provide it? So a lot of the hints, so the ones that I'm most familiar with are, you know, telling it when to recompile or when not to recompile or giving it hints for specific parameter values. Um, you know, dates we use a fair amount of, you know, just compile this plan assuming you I'm, I'm giving you this kind of date. Right. Or an active flag or something like that. Um, I, I don't find myself using those a whole lot. Well, this is awfully close to the metal. Like, it's one of those things where I feel like we're getting to the point where odds are our guess is wrong. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where once you, once you override a default behavior, you've, you've, SQL Server can't correct if the scope of data changes right. or anything like that. Yeah, you now so take ownership. Got, yeah. So I really try and avoid that if I can. If it's, you know, if you can get acceptable query performance without, without doing that, I think you're always better off. And, you know, some of those are fairly harmless. Like you tell a, you say, you know, optimize for the active flag being true. Right. You know, that's, that, that's, that's probably not going to change anytime soon. But this also makes a huge case for why we shouldn't just have strings as parameters and be flipping types inside of our stored procedures. <laughs> Spoken like a true developer. Oh, thanks. You know, I just showed I showed my chops there, right? Didn't I? No, no. That's well. Actually, it's it's interesting. It's one of the most interesting challenges to face in stored procedures, and I think it's really kind of risen to the forefront now that people are better understanding query plans. Is how do you deal with optional parameters? Right. Because there's just no good way in static code to do it. A lot of people try and get smart, and they use a coalesce around a column yeah. in the where clause. 
And, you know, that's the only thing that does is guarantee you'll get a table scan of every table that you yes. use that on. Yeah. Or that it won't use the index. It might use a different one. Yeah, that's the run slowly hint. Yes, that's exactly what that was. <laughs> and, you know, there was a feature put in 2008 that um, you could use the option recompile hint with optional parameters, and it would supposedly build you the correct query plan, even if you use that coalesce. Yeah. Or if you use the is null or equals value. Uh, the problem is there's a pretty nasty bug with that, so they're they're saying that you should not use that. Hmm. Uh, and really, all that leaves you is building up some type of a uh, of a string of a raw select statement and issuing that. And once again, you know, so much for your you're going to be recomputing your query plan every time. Yep, yep. And no Although if that. you're if you're smart and you build a parameterized SQL statement. And the text of the of the statement itself is identical every time. And if you're always searching, like on you know customer numbers, something like that, it'll reuse that portion. Great. So they, I mean, it's the thing is, SQL Server really does try to help us here, but there are limits to what it can do. And and I find it interesting, you know, what you're saying here about there are optimizations we can have that have long term ramifications. So the fastest executing solution may not necessarily be the best in the long run. It it may not. It may not, and especially look at systems that grow as fast as some of these can today. Yeah, I mean, if I were running a, you know, a Twitter or a MySpace or a Facebook or something, and you know, you get a million people a day joining, mm -hmm. oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, interesting problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're coming close to the end here, Bill. Uh, any final words? Areas we haven't talked about here? Stuff that people should be looking at for performance tuning? You know, I, I, I guess my only words of advice is, is don't make it harder than it has to be. Right. And nine times out of ten, uh, I can solve a performance problem with just better indexing. So I'd encourage folks to just look at how their queries are running, look for table scans and query plans, and see if they can't put better indexing on. In many cases, they'll be able to solve their own problem. So the fundamentals are still the main thing, isn't it? You, you don't worry. The, the DMVs, all these other things are cool, but in the end, a good index strategy is the best benefit. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just kind of a progression you go through is, you know, is, is this in good shape? Okay, then you just move on to the next thing. And where I see problems time and time again are as data gets bigger, the indexes that were needed initially, which is probably just the primary key and maybe the foreign key, right. just aren't enough. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, again and again and again, just a, a few well-placed indexes to knock down those top four or five queries and everything is just fine. Bill Graziano, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.